previously on X-Men. Hey, I'm Ben Silverio. I'm Andy Huddle. And I'm your host and post, Ansel Birch. And it's time, time to, to party! Party people, welcome back to Time to Party. Uh, you know, we're, uh, we're just trying to have a good time. Trying. And succeeding! Yay! Yay! Pop the champagne. <laughs> Drink your mimosa. Ooh. Walk up to a woman, steal her champagne, then pour a fresh glass from the bottle you were holding. Hand it back. And then say, hey, you guys want to get out of here? Let's go find us a real party. <laughs> and by that, I mean a veteran sitting in a bar by himself, drinking whiskey, thinking about what it means to be a man. And if you have no idea what we're talking about, go go watch Midnight in Paris. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's in the name of the show. You're... It's true. Hopefully you know what we're talking about since we already did an episode about it. But in this second episode for Midnight in Paris, we will be reviewing the movie. Uh, getting into our thoughts and, you know, really, really talking it out. We're just going to have a little powwow and, you know, really express our feelings about this movie. Yeah, well, I uh, enjoyed some high loss, con. just got to say, wow. 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 Uh, Instead of an NPR voice, we'll just do it in uh, Owen Wilson voice. Yep. <laughs> You're going to have to do it for the whole show, though. Wow. I can only say wow. There's so much more, though. It's... <laughs> It's so great. So just wow, you know. You know, it's it's, it's Paris mm. in the rain. You know what? What could be better? Paris in the rain. I'm just I'm just gonna walk. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take a walk. And uh, you you know why don't why don't you guys come join me? We're gonna we're gonna take a walk. No, you're gonna take a cab. I don't like getting oh, wet. Wow. Oh, okay. Well, you know they got umbrellas. The this. Wow. The rest of this episode is just going to be Andy as Owen Wilson and Ansel as Rachel McAdams. I I wrote to you every day. Oh wait, that's a different <laughs> movie. Yeah. Oh wow. Did you? I didn't get any oh, of those. Oh, you're you're such I'm a right mean here. girl. <laughs> wow. How about the movie they were in together? Wedding Crashers. <laughs> oh wow! I didn't even put that together. Oh, you motorboat and son of a bitch! Oh, oh party people! If you don't know anything about Midnight in Paris, <laughs> here's what our good friends at IMDb tell us: While on a trip to Paris with his fiance's family, a nostalgic screenwriter finds himself mysteriously going back to the 1920s every day at midnight. Those, those That's things it. do happen. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. correct. I am to be now. I we've I think we've mm-hmm. all three of us been to Paris. Yep. So that's interesting. We've got that little mm-hmm. extra piece of perspective. Yeah. Because uh, this was Paris porn, like all oh, the way through. No, this is absolutely Parisian porn. Um, but isn't that really Woody Allen's mo with all of these like city movies? Like he really sure. spotlights the city as like uh, an additional character. Let's right. say you get funding I, no, for the movie. That's absolutely I mean, true. Yeah, it's, that is. It really is. It's it's a lot. I mean, there are some great movies where the the city that they're in is a character in the film, and I always uh, go to Lost in Translation sure. as an example of that. But it's weird though because like modern Paris in the movie, I feel like is not a character <laughs> at all. Mm-mm. But you know the the nineteen twenties version absolutely mm-hmm. is. I think they do a really good job of differentiating 
when you are in the present that was 12 years ago, <laughs> as well as what it was like 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the fact that you've got the cars, mm-hmm. especially, uh, you know, the hairstyle. Right. You know, they took Tom Hiddleston and my God, does he look like he jumped out of the 1920s. Yeah. I mean, as F. Scott Fitzgerald. As F. Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs> um, absolutely. And Kim Pine, of course, uh, Alison Pill. Yeah. So one of the big things that IMDb emphasizes in that in that synopsis is the word nostalgic. Mm-hmm. In hearing this entire thing and knowing that IMDb doesn't really go into details that much, the fact that they include the word, word nostalgic is very important. Because it plays a central role to the story. Yeah, the character is nostalgic, sure. And, you know, not only that, but, you know, Gil is a screenwriter and he's mm-hmm. writing his own screenplay that he can't finish about a guy who owns a nostalgia shop. But is otherwise apparently him. Yeah. 100%. Because, again, it's like, it's, it's very meta because Woody Allen wrote Gil to be him. Like, he, you know, if this was se- if this was done in the 70s... He would be playing. Woody Allen would be playing Gil. And Scarlett Johansson would be playing Inez. Because that's just... Seven-year-old, or no, (laughs) negative-something-year-old Right, I know. Time travel. Woody would find a way. So, again, Woody Allen getting very meta. Yeah. You know, just writing a screenplay about a character who's writing a screenplay about a character. Sure. I mean, and let's be honest, I mean, Woody Allen is incredibly nostalgic, just, I mean, his love of clarinet alone, you know, like, is is just well-known and well-documented, you know. And he always is thinking about the good old days. Uh, the movie Radio Days is one of my favorite uh, Woody Allen films, you know, where, you know, you just get his, like, an, exa- an exaggerated version of his own family and how, you know, the radio was pretty much a part of the family, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, all of his movies, you can find examples of the idea of golden age thinking sure. as uh, Michael Sheen's character obnoxiously points out. Oh, well, I guess while we're on the topic of Michael Sheen, um, Michael Sheen's a great actor. Phenomenal. I, I love Michael Sheen as a performer. I loved him on 30 Rock. Oh my God. So fun. Wesley Snipes. <laughs> Which one of us looks more like a Wesley? <laughs> <laughs> phenomenal I just wesley snipes was just such a great character on 30 rock uh and then and then you see him in like the underworld series and you're like it's the same guy twilight but he's just this this huge pretentious douche yeah. uh just constantly correcting everyone oh. and just the worst. Oh, the yeah. worst. When uh, when Gil is hesitant to talk about his book in front of Inez's friends, uh, Inez starts talking about the book, and they start making fun of Gil's main character, who owns the nostalgic <laughs> shop. And when uh, Michael Sheen's Paul hears about all that stuff, mm-hmm. uh, he he's like, "Who'd want it? People who live in the past." And I mean, obviously. I felt personally attacked, as you can see from your surroundings. Uh, you can see all of my toys and memorabilia and books mm-hmm. and stuff. And, like, this is one of the reasons why I connect to this movie so deeply is that, you know, I've always been a nostalgic type of person. You know, I've always liked these 
uh, golden ages per se for arts, for music, for film and all that stuff. Of course, when you start getting into uh, how they treated people of color and all that shit, it starts to get a little murky. But, you know, uh, but not all of it, you know. Uh, sure. There is some times where people appreciate everyone. Well, uh, <laughs> some of the people who do, like, historic costuming and historic um, clothing, like, as everyday mm-hmm. wear, came up with a really good, I guess, mantra for that sort of thing, which is vintage aesthetics, not vintage values. I like that. Ooh. I like that a lot. Because, yeah, the 20s, if you're into 20s fashion, get you some. Yes. And as long as you don't espouse the complete fuckery that was that era, sure. then go for it, you know. You know, I... Wear you a pork pie and get some big, <laughs> big lapels. So Ansel, Ansel and I both worked at the Bristol Renaissance Fair mm-hmm. for years and years and years. Um, and, you know, one of the big things was, at the time... They were very xenophobic. And at the time, culturally, we would hate outsiders. Sure. You know, but we, however, are obviously living in the modern day and are much more culturally woke. I hate myself for saying woke, but I'm going to move on and say, you know, we were more way, way, way more accepting and loving. And, you know, we had people of... You know, we had Italians, we had Irish, we had Scottish, people who would not really be welcomed in 1574, mm-hmm. the year of our Lord. But we welcomed everybody into into the gates, and that was, I think, for the best. Because, mm-hmm. uh, But that, that expression is, uh, that's, that's a really good expression. Right? I like that. Say it again. Vintage aesthetics, not vintage values. I like that a lot. Host and post here just popping in to say it's vintage style, not vintage values. Shame on me. For more information, check out Dandy Wellington. He's all over social media and should be pretty easy to find. Dandy Wellington has plenty of great information on vintage style, not vintage values. Wow. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Michael Sheen's Paul probably wouldn't no. say something like that. No. In fact, he continues to attack nostalgia by uh, calling it a flaw in romantic age imagination of those people who can't cope with the present. Of all the weird people that I quote on the show, okay. Warwick Johnson, my roommate. Whose apartment we're in. Yeah. Yes. My roommate and author of the graphic novel Empty Grave. Uh, Available which is at warwickjohnson.com. There it is. Yeah. Um, he likes to use the phrase nostalgia bukake. <laughs> um, what? <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> so. I was so not ready. I guess you never are. No, you're never ready for Bukak. <laughs> but you may think you are. But uh, he <laughs> he points to <laughs> movies like uh, or stories like Ready Player One as right. nostalgia Bukak. Oh, oh, that's fair. No, if, that's one hundred percent. If anything in the universe is is that, uh, yeah. if anything is nostalgia Bukak. Oh, I, I think Scott and, Pilgrim is up there too. No, but see, I think that does it with purpose. Whereas Ready Player One and Space Jam A New Legacy do it very sloppily Mm -hmm. and they They just just throw throw, whatever sticks. Whereas Scott Pilgrim, there's like a character reason why. Apologies to Edgar Wright, maybe, but... (laughs) Incidentally, I'm seeing the Scott Pilgrim books right over there. Oh, yeah. And all the pops over there. Inspired by this, I actually put my uh, Funkos in my recently... uh, redecorated basement yeah uh so i've got that with my uh ridiculous ko edition 
of uh, Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, they had to wait forever for. <laughs> oh my god, worth it though, honestly. Yeah, like, really? All the bonus stuff is phenomenal. In the time that it took him to order and receive this version of the game, I got mine and beat it and maxed out all my characters. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's... Was it like production delays or did it just get yeah, lost so in shipping I, or something? I, I, no, I, ordered, I ordered like the biggest deluxe edition with all the bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. Like it came in like this big... Like Met, road case. Like road case. Dope. It, it when you open it up, there's like it's this. Yeah, it's a pop up. It's got lights and it plays like a MIDI file of a song from the game. Like you know, like those birthday cards that open yeah. up and they, yeah, like that. It's very cool. It's this very cool very as cool. fuck. Oh, yeah. And then you open it up more and there's like laser engraved drumsticks. You get a copy of the soundtrack on C D and on cassette tape. Yeah sure a bunch of stickers so many stickers uh, a map of the game yeah map of the game a map of toronto yeah that looks like the mario brothers map oh fun um yeah then you get the game in a vintage sega uh hard case okay um yeah and that has even more stickers in it <laughs> though i mean worth it but the the weight was very the long. weight was redonk uh so luckily i kind of forgot about it for a while but then when it showed up it just in this giant case of like oh my god that's how i treat kickstarters yeah take my money eventually i got me a present yeah it shows up and you're like oh yeah <laughs> uh but the the nostalgia bukake of those stories you know kind of uh I don't want to say downgrades them, but in a way, it downgrades them because it makes it all about the the nostalgic properties of that story, right? Well, and I because I feel like the you know the book itself, Ready Player One, I felt was much more direct in its what it was. Sure, you know, it, nostalgic come on my tits, uh, sort of a thing, you know. But I feel like, but even the book has its problems, you oh, know, for like, sure. Uh, like they they try they they look to be inclusive by by having the the main cast be very diverse. Yeah, but when it comes to doing anything actually, uh, you know, world saving, uh, the white guy has to come in white knighted up. Yeah, you know, uh, which gets even more frustrating when you see the movie version where the involvement of the Asian characters are just basically depleted well at least the asian kids don't die in this one well i mean that's that's true too <laughs> you know they they made it a point to not kill the minorities and yeah that was definitely a problem movie. um but uh so to 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 bring this back to the uh the midnight in paris discussion you know it's it's not really that gill has this nostalgia bukake like experience sure. going on you know like there's a reason for all this nostalgia. It's not mm-hmm. unnecessary or unearned. You know, he there's a reason why he likes all of these things and they're being incorporated into his 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 story. You know, so it's not it's not frivolous. It's not ancillary. So it doesn't fall under the category of Warwick's uh description. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's part of why I like this and point to this as an example of good nostalgia, mm-hmm. like Scott Pilgrim. Absolutely, uh, I feel like they. I feel like they they chose very specific people uh, to kind of bring in. 
And I and I feel like they even kind of throw in like, you know, like T.S. Eliot. Like, I forgot T.S. Eliot was even yeah. in there. Um, you know, and having Pablo Picasso and Gertrude Stein. And then you get the the trio of surrealists. Man Ray, yeah. Louis Buñuel. Yep. And Dali. Dali. Of course. And, you know, they're, and they all add to, like, what, what perfect people to explain his situation to. Yeah. Is, you know, I, I'm, I'm in love with a woman from another era. And now I don't know what to do. And he explains this to the surrealists who are like, you inhabit two worlds. <laughs> no, yeah, no, so, no, like, hmm, what a weird idea. Why would you say such crazy things? Immediately. Yeah. Oh, well, like, right, of course. Uh-huh. I see the human problem that you're having. I see a picture. Yeah. And, you know, part of that, even for me, is like seeing uh, the connection of, I mean, also, this is me who looks way, way, way too deep into movies and, and media and stuff. But, That's like, the, 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 the two worlds element of like hey being asian american is different than being asian you know you're living in these two different cultures mm-hmm. trying to balance them and you know I, i've been thinking a lot about that lately because uh when we're recording this i had already uh i i saw uh everything everywhere all at once uh turning red just came out um these are uh very um these are very focused movies on that certain experience of living a double life yeah you know so I, I kind of can relate in that way i mean gill's problem isn't as excess existential as <laughs> as trying to define your culture sure but you can definitely kind of relate to the sort of belonging to two worlds absolutely where you know like you are physically living in you know the year 2010 but you know you feel like you belong in an earlier era right um, you know, does Gil, you know, not Asian Americans, because <laughs> uh, they wouldn't have a good time. No, it's right. not, not, not no, 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 no. Um, but you know, it also doesn't help that uh, Gil doesn't really have a supportive partner. She's the worst. Yeah, Inez what? is not great as a partner. Yeah, that's the um, statement. Well, she does not listen to him. No, at all. I mean, she openly mocks him to his face. Yeah. And just is just so dismissive of him. Like the scene where he's like, I'm going to walk to the hotel. And she's like, no, okay, we're going to take a cab. Yeah. Oh, no, oh, no, no, no. The scene where they're going to go out for a drink or they're going to go out dancing. Yes. And he's like, no, let's, I'm, let's, let's go take a walk. We're going to take a walk. I would like to involve you in this romantic thing. Right. While we're in Paris. No, I'm going to, I'm going to go dancing though. So I'm going to go do that. Yeah. Which to a certain extent, like I get. As a, as a real human being in real human being Shh. situations, sometimes you got to be like, look, this is what I really want to do. Is it okay if we just like do two different things? Right. Okay. But I'm going to go do that. Okay. But she was such a jerk about she it. She was. She and, was a jerk about literally everything. And this was definitely very different from when Owen Wilson and Rachel McAdams were previously together in the movie. Uh, when yes. Crashers. Very much so. Uh, where. <laughs> you motorboat son of a bitch. <laughs> well, Rachel McAdams is just generally a lot more mean. In, in this one, you know? She's a mean girl. <laughs> that's true. She is a mean girl. You know, the other thing that's really weird is that Owen Wilson is on his own. Yeah. Like, he is by himself throughout this movie. Like, he doesn't have 
a friend in the modern day because he's in Paris. Yeah. Mm. You know, he is on this trip with his parents-in-laws. About to be. <laughs> yeah, his future. Yeah, they're not, they're his not future, even... That's right. His future in-laws. With these motherfuckers. Oh, yeah, my God. Right. These white privilege uh, a-holes. How much was that rocking chair? Like 18, oh. 20 grand. No, 18,000 euro. Yeah. Yeah fucking insane for a rocking chair and they're just uh, yeah they're going and you don't find these things in the u.s haven't you ever been to a cracker barrel you're gonna find Uh, it i'm pretty sure that's kind of our deal (laughs) i I don't think you see a lot of rocking chairs in paris i never did yeah it doesn't feel like a big part of parisian culture yeah there's there's no cracker barrel there gosh they're missing out on some quality food poisoning but you know all the finest weird gift shop at the front. But but you know they they use the metric system over there, so Ooh, they, it's not even going to be a barrel. <laughs> the cracker hogshead. <laughs> hogshead. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson should go on on a rant about there you go about this measurement in Europe. I mean, they do use barrels, the ton barrel. The look on Ansel's face almost says to me that he knows how to make one. I'm thinking way too hard about this. <laughs> Wonderful but forgettable. Sounds like a movie I've seen. I probably wrote it. <laughs> Is a line that Gil Pender says to uh, his almost father-in-law. Yeah. Or mother-in-law. Yep. After they talk about going to see an American movie at the cinema. Uh, what movie do you think uh, Woody Allen was talking about? Oh, man. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the things that's great is that Gil, he has a job that is actually kind of my dream job, and that is being a script doctor for Hollywood. Um, I would love to be, a, like, a script doctor. Like, that, I can, like, look at a movie and say, here are the three things I would do differently about this movie. Instead, Hollywood has unpaid interns doing that. So. I know, and mm-hmm. it's just, it, it hurts. I know. I had to do that for a couple scripts. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, let's see. Let's let's think about this. What was what was around in like 2010 uh, that that would have been funny but forgettable? I've had a lot of things. Right. Let's see. What movies came out in 2010? Megamind, Despicable Me, Iron Man 2. Oh, The Last Airbender, Shutter Island, Percy Remember Jackson me. and the Lightning Thief. Oh, Shrek Forever After. Oh, here's one for you. Leap Year. Oh, Buried came out in 2010. Oh, 127 hours. Due date. I got it. It's the backup plan. This is the backup plan? It is It is the backup plan starring Jennifer Lopez. Are you sure it wasn't Burlesque or MacGruber? I enjoyed Burlesque. I did too, honestly. Yeah. What if it right, was uh, You Again starring Kristen Bell and Sigourney Weaver? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Because I feel like that's a mom movie, right? I have a feeling it's a, it's a comedy with a female lead, and I don't I don't mean that oh, as wow. any. Uh, Kristen Bell, Sigourney Weaver, Jamie Lee Curtis, Betty White, Victor Garber, Kristen Chenoweth. Oh, hmm. yeah, I, I I agree with you though. That that is the sort of thing you go see with your mom. Yeah, yeah, right. Just being in Paris and going to see like an, an American, American movie. movie. Right. God, what a because I mean that had to be. Woody Allen throwing shade at something. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, you can also read it as him being self-deprecating, as he usually is. Right. You know? Well, also, just showing that Gil is very much not happy with his current life, like job. Because, like, he says that he makes a ton of money 
from script doctoring. Yeah. But, you know, just spewing out like a random screenplay is right. like nothing for him. But he now, is he really doctoring or is he writing? I thought he was doing both. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure he gets hired to do because I didn't pick up on the doctoring thing, but yeah, because uh, like he might get hired to like punch up a script. Sure, I mean know. that that happens. Yeah, uh, which is uh, you know, and I mean both are you know great. Like if I you know had one movie, I would you know shit yeah. myself. Oh no, like, don't throw me in that briar patch. Right. <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 definitely a tool to show how. Un, you know, one, how terrible his future in-laws yeah. are that, you know, we're not going to go see theater or a show or anything <laughs> or appreciate art. Right. You know, we're going to You're in see Paris surrounded by all of this art culture and, culture. and art. So I'm going to go to see an American movie. Right. Although, to be fair, when I studied abroad in London, I, I did go see an American movie. I mean, but how long were you there? Uh, months that's that, so. yeah like me too yeah. well what i saw spider-man 3 when i was in england nice. ouch i yeah i want to say it was one of the pirates movies or something yeah because i just remember going to the odeon sure and, like uh we it, had it had uh, to be big enough that like a bunch of my friends were just like hey let's go see it oh that makes sense we had a student cinema um so i watched a fair amount of american movies there just because it was what what we were all doing together but like even though i went to that one american movie i went to a lot of shows on the west end yeah so that makes up for it yeah yeah did I you see so. a panto i didn't oh uh, come on i know that's too bad uh, like i i really wanted to go to the globe uh and then for some reason we didn't i don't know why that happened to me we went and they were closed same. Ah, I got uh, to see the lobby of the globe. <laughs> we got to see the gates, and we posed dramatically. We were talking about Patrick Stewart earlier. Uh, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen were doing Waiting for Godot on the West End. Uh, when he was there. Wow. And obviously sold out yeah. for, for weeks. So we could not go to that. Oh. Wow. I would I would give body parts to have seen that. I know. We, so speaking of Waiting for Godot, we just watched uh, Drive My Car, uh, which is one of the films nominated right. for... Best Picture. It's a Japanese language film. Sadly, it did not win for any of the categories in which it was nominated. And uh, the direct, like the main character, is like an actor and director. And one of the things that is his hallmark is that there's no language barrier or anything like that. Uh -huh. So, like, he's doing a production of Waiting for Godot. Uh, Estragon is speaking Japanese. Vladimir is speaking Korean. Interesting. So up at the top, there's superscript oh. of what they're saying in English, Japanese, and Korean. And Korean That's fascinating. All at the same time. So you can read what they're saying. So even though they're speaking different languages to one another, yeah. you know, they're still like performing it. Interesting. Uh, and then he does a production, like then later in the movie, he goes to Hiroshima to do a workshop where they're performing uh, Uncle Vanya. And they've got Chinese, Korean, uh, Korean sign language. Wow. Um, yeah. And That's intense. It's, it's very, very intense. Uh, and I think one of the characters is actually Russian. Uh, cool. in, in another production, like one of the characters is actually speaking Russian as well. And again, you've got like the superscript up at the top and it's, it's very, it's very cool because wow. they're, 
you know, uh, to an untrained gringo, you know, you don't know necessarily that they are speaking other languages, right. uh, but it is like a very important plot point that, you know, there's language is not a, a, a barrier and that all the characters and like and they talk about the rehearsal process because like uh, whatever, you know, when they're doing table reads, they have to knock on the table to show that they're done with their line. Otherwise, people are like jumping all That's, over mm-hmm. each other. And I personally, I, you know, having I watched the movie Coda right beforehand, which is all about uh, a deaf family, right? Um, and the one daughter who actually can hear. And uh, so, getting to see like American Sign Language and Korean Sign Language like back to back, they're yeah. very, very different. Sure. Interesting, which is really, really fascinating. Um, and uh, yeah, she plays uh, Sonia in Uncle Vanya, which is a very touching uh, role. And she's got uh, a lot of really great monologues. So you've got a character and it's just silent on stage, signing to Uncle Vanya, this very, very encouraging, very sweet speech, all in Korean sign language. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, so many people take language for granted, Mm -hmm. you know, like, but it can be a really important storytelling tool. For instance... Uh, Hikaru Shida could be cutting promos on AEW television in Japanese with subtitles on them, but they don't do it, which is dumb. Yeah. Io Shirai does it on NXT and it enhances her character and lets her speak in her native tongue. Mm-hmm. She's a lot more comfortable uh, tearing down her opponent uh, by speaking in her you know regular language well i think that's what got asuka over exactly is she she started doing these crazy emotional promos in japanese on commentary and nobody really knew what she was saying sure you know but it got her over like crazy uh but with uh midnight in paris Mm -hmm. you get a number of different languages spanish Mm -hmm. french Mm -hmm. you know and you don't get the subtitles Right, uh, because like Gil, you're meant to be the fish out of water in mm-hmm. this instance. Right. Well, we you were. Know? Yeah. When we when we started watching Coda, uh, we weren't watching it on Apple Plus, uh-huh. and there were no subtitles. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, okay. So we're meant to feel like you know, fish out of water, yeah. not knowing what they're saying. No, we just don't have a subtitle track. Oh. Okay, that's what oh, it is. Okay. Okay. All right. This, <laughs> is not, this was not a choice. No, All right. right. But for me, in Paris, I double checked because I put on the subtitles. I'm yeah. like. Should I be understanding what they're saying to Toulouse Lautrec in French? Um, uh, no, the subtitles say speaks French. <laughs> pretty much, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so using that as another storytelling tool is, you know, interesting in, in in the various ways it can be utilized. Well, and that's another thing that they don't really address because they they mostly talk about how he feels like he was born in the wrong time. Yes, not the wrong place. Sure, like. The 1920s in America, very different from Paris. Yes. Uh, You know, I mean, so his nostalgia is specifically in one place, not, you know, where his ancestors would have necessarily, like, been from or anything like that. Which is interesting because so many of the people that he meets are not Parisian either. That's also a very good point. It just happened to be this melting pot of culture uh, in, at that particular time, yeah, that just lures in, you know, these people whose names will go down in history forever and ever. Yeah, and you know, when it comes down to the message of uh, Midnight in Paris, 
It's very simple. It's a very mm-hmm. simple story of your main character learning the grass is always greener, it doesn't always apply. You know, there's always when you think something is better, someone in that situation thinks something else is better. Andy wants to be a script doctor in Hollywood, but someone, some lowly intern is doing that work and is like, I wish I was working at a farm in Ohio. Uh, I I'm so work with sorry, kid. Bees. <laughs> bees? That part's cool. I want to be covered in bees. Covered in bees. <laughs> but if you ever get the chance, take it, by the way. That's so, it's to so do cool. beekeeping? Uh, no, that, but also bee beards. So cool. You already have a beard. Does that affect the beard? Uh, it's not advisable to do it if you have a, be- a beard already, but you can. You shouldn't have a bee-eared yeah. with a beard. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's the real message of this, this podcast, actually. Ba, ba, ba. <laughs> so when Gil meets Adriana, you know, he's talking about how great the 1920s is and how lucky she is to be in all of that. But then she would rather be in La Belle Epoque. Mm-hmm. And then when they meet the people in La Belle Epoque, uh, they want to be in the Renaissance. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the the message of this movie is really hammered home. Yeah. Um, it's not subtle. Yeah, no. It's not no. subtle, but I don't hate it. Same. Because this is something that a lot of people, myself included, need to be reminded of. You know, like, some days I'll, like, sit on my break or something. And I'm, by some days, I mean more recently. And you I'll, normally stand during your break? Right, yes. Uh, I mean, sometimes I need to get up because I'm in that chair, oh, yeah. like, for eight hours, you know? Um, but, like, I just remind myself, like, took you how long to get here? There are people who would be dying to work in your line of work. And you're really lucky to have all this stuff. And it's a nice reminder of just, like, hey, appreciate what you have, right? Like, I can be a really nostalgic person and love, like, Bill and Ted and Back to the Future and Josie and the Pussycats. But that doesn't mean that I'm not, like, living in the present as well, as much as I can, considering we're still in an ongoing pandemic. But, you know. Sure. Well, what I think is what I think is interesting is that, so he's nostalgic for another time and place. And at the end of the movie, he just changes the place. Or like, you know, like he ends up, you know, I want to be in Paris in the 1920s to then just being, I just want to be in Paris. Which I think is a good indication of his character growth. But yeah. also, like, how do you not want to just, like, move, move to, to the Paris? Cool, yeah, yeah, like, like it's not just... Paris specifically for me, but like yeah. when you've. Uh, for me, it's York, right? If right. you've if you've been to a place that changed you a little bit, mm-hmm. it's hard to not want to just Absolutely. stay there. Sure, but you know, and I think it's you know the movie we talk about time travel and stuff like that, and but I think it's ultimately like I still want to leave America behind, and you know, but for Gil specifically, it's that he also wants to leave Inez behind. Yeah, and he right. comes to realize that right because she part of this really because she is you know her and her family are pretty much everything wrong with america when when you really look at it mm-hmm. republicans and it's just white privilege there's just so much that they represent yeah exactly that you know he wants to get rid of sure oh my gosh can we talk about one of the funniest scenes in the whole movie no oh 
No, that, no, that's just <laughs> no, that's fine. I, you know, this, I, you know, long, long time listener, first time caller. That's, that's <laughs> totally fine. We don't talk about the fun stuff here. Oh, okay. Yeah. We don't talk about fun stuff. No, no, no. Uh, what were you going to talk about? Funniest scene in the whole movie. So, Inez's father doesn't trust Gil. Yes. And thinks that he might be having an affair. So he hires a detective. <laughs> the detective follows Gil on one of his midnight walks. And he ends up in the Palace of Versailles. Like, during the French Restoration period. And he ends up running from the guards. Off with his head. Yep. I just... <laughs> And then they later like talk about how the detective was never seen never again. Never seen again. It was that a guy's very funny dead. Bet. Yeah, that guy is dead. I just think that's so funny. Um, I, I just but as a storytelling tool, it tells you that if someone goes back in time the way Gil did, they mm. can stay there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Gil left. Yeah. Well, and we already left. Um, Adriana. Adriana. Yeah, because she stayed. Right. And, you know, the other thing I find very, very funny is that of all things, Gil finds a copy of her diary. Yeah. That, that was, that at was. At a flea thing. market. Yeah. Like, what bookseller just happens to have, like, a girl's diary? I've been to plenty of flea markets and, like, antique shops that have just yeah. had photos of, like, people that are definitely long time deceased mm. that you could just purchase for a dollar that's fair okay. so, it is also shakespeare and sons which is a spectacular bookshop i'm glad it got a oh no he he oh. buys her journal uh from a street vendor oh that's right yeah. shakespeare and sons is later he goes to that bookshop yes. yeah he does but yes but that's yeah because it's just a street vendor and then he has well okay so i guess like the only like literally the only person he can really go to is the the girl from uh, the Rodin exhibit. The, yeah, the Rodin exhibit. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, it's not until later that um, that Leah Seydoux, uh comes into play. I mean, she, right. she pops up a couple times as right. the, the record seller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then ultimately we see her at the end. But, Do you like a Cole Porter? Uh, but yeah, like, oh, Cole Porter. Uh, if you notice, the only song in the soundtrack that gets repeated is let's fall in love mm-hmm. um and i feel like it comes back at like really important moments you know yeah like when when gill actually realizes something about his current relationship uh but then you know there's that line about the beans and then i'm just <laughs> taking out <laughs> even boston beans do it. i do love cole porter i will say though so despite midnight in paris being a pretty simple movie you know, the premise is simple. Yeah. You know, uh, even the time travel mechanism is pretty simple. I mean, you sit on some stairs at midnight. Yeah. And then in uh, Paris. They, they, they come to pick you up for a party. And you make a choice to go on an adventure. Yeah. <laughs> this is a guy who is resisting a lot of adventures. But these people show up and he's like, yeah, I'll get into a random cab with you. Right. And Which then, is very dangerous. Right. And then you when, when Adriana's with him, they get in a horse-drawn buggy. Yup. 
Yeah, so I mean, uh, despite all of this very simple storytelling and like a, a non-subtle theme, it's still a pretty good movie. For sure. Like, it's it's done very well. It's shot very well. I mean, it. I'm not going to say it's... Well, I mean, it was nominated for Best Original Screenplay, I believe. The, it won the Oscar for Best... It won it was, the it Oscar. It was nominated for a couple different things. Yeah. But it won... Uh, Oscar and Golden Globe for Best Original Screenplay. Yeah, and and not that I put a ton of, uh, a ton of, like stock stock in the Oscars, mm-hmm. you know. But for people that do, that's just goes. That's just proving that this is a very for good story. me. For me, winning Best Original or Adapted Screenplay, I think is a higher honor than Best Motion Picture. Because for me, nine times out of ten, the movie that wins best screenplays are usually I enjoy more than whatever wins best picture. So as we like to do here on Time to Party, we like to, uh, when we revisit these movies, we like to determine whether or not they were worth our time. So Andy Huddle was... Noted cinephile. Noted cinephile, esteemed beard haver, and fellow collector of memorabilia and uh semi-professional owen wilson impersonator wow <laughs> wow uh do you find upon this rewatch that midnight in paris is worth your time you know i i will say i i think watching it this time it, it kind of got knocked down just a little bit for me you know and i couldn't even tell you like why exactly it's definitely like one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time but i don't know is this watching it this last time it kind of went down a couple notches and I, again, like I couldn't tell you why. Mm-hmm. Um, I just uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe it was just I like held it up in like such a high regard for so long uh, that it's kind of I overhyped it in my mind a little bit. I, again, it's still top ten. It just might be closer to ten than five mm-hmm. at this point. Like I feel like every time I rewatch it, it comes at a point in my life where I need the reminder. You know, where it's good to hear, like, hey, you know, maybe don't live so much in the past. Yeah. You know? Like, all the stuff that you're nostalgic for is good, but centering your life around it maybe isn't. To quote noted poet Garth Algar, live in the now! <laughs> Ansel, what did you think of the movie? I mean, this was, this was your first time yeah. with it. I mean, it's obviously like a big favorite of sure. uh, of both of us so i mean i know you have kind of an unusual experience i, I have I, I i don't know how much of it'll make it into the podcast from the previous brief mentions i've made but yeah. i i experienced this film for the first time today uh and i ran out of time to like sit down and watch it but i had two reasonably long car rides that i had to get <laughs> through so i listened to this movie uh through my car stereos while driving uh, so I'm sure there were some amazing visuals. Uh, <laughs> I bet, I bet there was lots of cool use of color and stuff like that, but I didn't get any of that stuff. But what I will say, I mean, first off, the story was fabulous. Everybody had a really distinctive voice, which was really nice. And, uh, you know, as a podcast producer, I really appreciate the sound design that went into this because like, they didn't think I was going to watch this this way. Like, <laughs> Who does what I did? No one. No one. That's the fool. Don't. I don't recommend it. Uh, but for this movie, it worked. 
like the the sound design was so crystal clear Mm -hmm. that like even in the montage scenes where they're like moving from place to place each place had its own distinctive sound each place had slightly different music shifts the music you know and that's one thing that i think woody allen does incredibly well is the music Mm -hmm. in his movies um i think the the more kind of straightforward the movie is like the more dynamic i think the music usually Mm -hmm. is with him which i think is the beauty of doing a more straightforward movie is that you can Mm -hmm. you know you're making a movie that is pretty direct right it's this guy needs to figure out who he is and get over his need to live in the past yeah pretty basic Mm -hmm. and so everything else becomes you know extra fun stuff and and art you know, you get to put in the art. Yeah. As Hemingway from the movie says, I don't think that the real Hemingway actually said this, but no subject is terrible if the story is true. I think Hemingway said that. Did he really? I'm pretty sure Hemingway said something like that. All right. That. Well, not, I mean, it's definitely that's like... That's the sort of shit Hemingway said. Somebody said. Did you know that Hemingway once said... Yeah. Yeah, well, the, the whole quote is, no subject is terrible if the story is true, if the prose is clean and honest... And if it affirms grace and courage under pressure. And I think this movie does those things. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Despite- like, even in the moment where Owen Wilson's character confronts his wife about the affair that she's having and has to deal with the fallout, especially in the face of her parents, who become even more the worst people ever yeah, yeah. in that moment, Owen Wilson handles it with grace and courage under pressure. Indeed. Meeting, uh, meeting Hemingway did him a favor, apparently. Well, and, you know, and I, I totally forgot that moment where Gertrude Stein reads his novel and is like, you know, I think it's interesting that, you know, the main character doesn't realize that his wife is having an affair. And, you know, it's in that moment where he's like... Is there what? What? Is it, huh? She's doing what now? Yeah. His line is... uh it's called denial. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He says it like pretty defeated, but almost like a light bulb. But yeah, he realizes that it's true in that moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then he has that moment of acceptance, which yeah. I think is pretty beautiful. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Really enjoyed it. It was absolutely worth my time. Uh, and, and I'm going to go back and watch it again with my eyes. Good. Yeah. As you no, should. No, you should. It's, uh, they, they act the crap out of it. I, you know, like I, the best way to put it is just, I feel like they act really well. Like, the acting is just really solid mm-hmm. from everybody. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like every even the minor characters play the parts exactly like how they should. So, we all fear death and question our place in the universe. The artist's job is not to succumb to despair, but find an antidote for the emptiness of existence. Party people, I hope that antidote for you was temporarily our show about yeah. midnight in Paris. That does it for our second episode. Uh, if you've gotten this far, thank you for sitting through all that. It's <laughs> <laughs> a long, it's not really ride. an endorsement, but okay. A long bike ride. Hey, if they've made already it. made it this far. That's true. They already know. They already know. Yeah. 
So, uh, as always, party people, it's been great. If you want to talk to us more about the movie, you can find us on the internet, on Instagram and Twitter. I am at bsilverio20. I am at Indecisionist on Twitter and at the Indecisionist on Instagram. This has been an Indecisionist production. Special thanks to April Moralba for our podcast art and to Marlon Longit of Marlon and the Shakes for our amazing theme song. To find Andy Huddle on Twitter, look for Ando Has Issues. If you want to join in the conversation, use the hashtag time to party. That's time the number two party ansel checks it he swears i do i do yes and until next time when we return to talk about the edutainment aspect that's right we're getting we're getting real obscure on this one yeah so uh if you're ready to hear uh a very long presentation about buñuel and the surrealists from andy huddle (laughs) Uh, come back. Uh, if you don't want to hear that, that's not what we're doing. So, <laughs> but if it is, then it totally is. Absolutely. <laughs> and if it isn't, but you wanted it to be, that's the surreal. Yes. Dali. 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 So while Andy tries to uh, ra- round up his rhinoceros, uh. <laughs> I don't know what that's all. Where were you going with that? I don't know that? where I was going with that. I've seen <laughs> All right. Until next time, party people, just remember, be excellent to each other. And, and party, party on, on, dudes. dudes. <laughs>